Good day, stoners, and welcome back to another episode of the Turning Stones podcast. On today's episode, it is the Australian Budget 2022-23, Part 2. So strap yourselves in. We've got a pretty juicy episode ahead. If you thought the first one was good, well, this one's just as good. Um, Still plenty to go through. Uh, Some of the topics we are going through on today's episode that we didn't cover in Part 1 include superannuation, a bit of compliance, the ABN system, the pay-as-you-go installment system, single-touch payroll data, the fuel excise, which is probably one of the most popular topics um, out coming out of this budget, uh, the reduction in that. Uh, the women's budget, so there's like a bit of a side budget to this budget. Uh, so we'll go through that in regards to the female sector there. Uh, we got the bit of spending in defense. Well, not a bit, there's a fair bit. Um, infrastructure, health and mental health, regional Australia, apprenticeships, and we'll finish off with a closing statement from yours truly. It's all happening here on part two of the 2022-23 Australian budget. Strap yourselves in, don't go anywhere. Some good quality ear candy coming up. See you on the other side of this, stoners. Thank you. Just before we get stuck into today's episode, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Introducing Loyal Olive Oil. Grown in Virginia, South Australia, the Loyal Grove is blessed with a Mediterranean-like climate and rich nutrient soil. The first press of these freshly harvested olives is now in market. For cooking, marinating, dressings or even as a spread, the possibilities are endless. L-O-I-L. Loyal Olive Oil. Your quest to find the best ends with Loyal. Find them on Instagram at Loyal Olive Oil. Welcome back. So once again, this is part two of the 2022-23 Australian federal budget. So we're going to start off with superannuation. So the government has announced that the temporary reduction of the superannuation minimum drawdown requirements for account-based pensions and similar products will be extended for a further year and expiring on the 30th of June 2023. So the minimum drawdown requirements in the CIS regulations, which is a superannuation uh, bit of legislation, determine the minimum amount of a pension that a retiree has to draw from their superannuation in order to qualify for those tax concessions. Minimum payment amounts are determined by age and the value of the account balance at 1 July of each year. So basically, uh, retirees or those that are in pension phase in a self-managed superannuation, or actually in any superannuation fund, should I say, um, their minimum drawdown pensions have been reduced by half. Now, the reason for this being that potentially superannuation funds can be affected through COVID-19, whether they have, you know, whatever source of investments that they have, the income on those investments, whether it be rental properties and getting rental income or being dividends from, from shares, Uh, that income may have dried up a little bit or may have dropped off over the last couple of years with, I guess, you know, all those industries and sectors um, potentially being a little bit more conservative and and not paying out as much or, you know, say, for example, the rental property market, even though that's booming, um, you know, you may have some potential vacancies or whatever have you. Um, It basically, the income of a fund basically dropping off and that's going according to the statistics that the Australian government has with all their modeling data uh, across the board. Um, So it's not generating, all these super funds aren't generating as much income as what they were pre-pandemic. Therefore, there's not as much cash in the super funds. Therefore, those pensioners or retirees in those super funds, um, if they were to, I guess, draw their normal minimum amounts, it may get to a point where a super fund doesn't have enough cash to pay it out. So there is um, basically here a temporary reduction of 50% for those minimum drawdown rates. And the last thing you want is when there's not enough cash in a super fund for it to go into overdraft. It just gets really messy. The one thing that I would recommend, and it's not financial advice, it's just you know, general top bloke down at the pub just giving you some good recommendations. I would always take them with a pinch of salt, by the way. But uh, one dangerous thing is when a super fund gets into an overdraft, and it also gets messy when a super fund borrows. Because when a super fund gets into an overdraft, which means a negative balance, 
that's essentially a borrowing which requires a whole bunch of compliance and uh, lots of paperwork which uh, I don't think any of us stoners love at all. So that's all to do with superannuation. Moving on to compliance, the government has announced that subject to certain software providers, um, especially those bookkeeping and accounting software providers being able to have the systems in place, businesses will have the option to report taxable payment reporting system data on the same lodgement cycle as their activity statement. Now, let's just go back a step here. Taxable payment reporting. Now, that is basically any payments that you make to contractors, you're required to do so every year um, for a financial year, and you need to lodge that data uh, by the 28th of August each year. So payments recorded uh, or must be reported uh, that have been paid to contractors uh, for both labor and materials uh, must be offering the following services. So you only need to report if you're paying contractors doing the following services. So it's building construction services, cleaning services, courier services, road freight services, IT, security, investigation, and surveillance services. So if you're paying anyone in those services, you actually need to report those payments to those contractors to the ATO through your taxable payment annual reporting, or it's TPAR. And you need to do that by the 28th of August each year. However, what they're suggesting here in this budget is that instead of doing it annually at the end of the year, you to do it every time you uh, basically lodge your activity statement. So if you're in a quarterly business activity statement cycle, well, you to also not only lodge and reconcile your GST, potentially your pay as you go, potentially your fringe benefits tax, and any other withholding taxes, um, but you may also have to report your TPAR, which is your taxable payment annual reporting data quarterly, or if your payment, uh, if your lodgement cycle is monthly, then you have to do it monthly. I guess this will lessen the burden annually at the end of the year. However, it's going to be a little bit more onerous when it comes to reporting time, especially if you're on a monthly or quarterly cycle, because it's just going to take a little bit longer to do those lodgements because you're already worrying about the GSTs, the pay as you goes, uh, the FBTs, and now you've got an extra thing to worry about. But once again, it probably streamlines and simplifies things at year end. So that's compliance. Now, moving on to the ABN system. Now, ABN stands for the Australian business number. Every business in Australia needs to have an ABN. Failure to have an ABN, well, technically, whoever's going to pay you, say you are a business without an ABN, uh, technically, whoever's paying you um, for your services, if you've uh, produced an invoice, uh, is required to withhold over 45% uh, of that amount because you have not declared your ABN. So it's just another way for the government to basically uh, data match and just trace where income is going and where how expenses are being incurred. So anyway, back to the ABN or Australian business number uh, system. So they're basically trying to strengthen it. The government has announced that it will defer the start date of the black economy, strengthening the Australian business number measure announced in the 19 and 20 federal budget. So in 2019-20 year, uh, the Australian government announced through its federal budget, that it was going to start a black economy task force strengthening the Australian business number measure. So they have actually deferred the start date uh, by 12 months just to assist with the integration into the Australian Business Registry Services. Now, this is another uh, acronym, ABRS. So the ABRS is actually focusing right now on director IDs. So if you're a director of a company, whether it be public or private, uh, you're required by a certain date. Uh, so if you're a new director, you need to do it within 28 days, I believe. But if you are an existing director before November 2021, you have 12 months to get your director's ID. So as of this recording, which is the 6th of April, 2022, you have, according to my calculations, around about seven months to get that director's ID if you haven't done so already. How to do that? Well, I can provide you with some assistance. Just hit me up in the DMs or obviously contact your uh, tax professional, tax agent or accountant. And if it's going to be an accountant, as I always say on Turning Stones podcast, making sure it's a chartered accountant. And why chartered? Well, we abide by the five very important fundamental principles of being an accountant. And that's what makes us a chartered accountant. Those five fundamental principles are integrity, objectivity, professional competence and due care, professional behavior, and of course, most importantly, confidentiality.
but they're all pretty important. So when you think accountant, always think a chartered accountant. They're the best. So they're strengthening this ABN measure, but they're deferring the start date because the ABRS is focusing on director's IDs. And so the ABNs basically are kept by the ABRS, which is the Australian Business Registry Services. Um, so I think they can't really handle to do two things at once. They can't strengthen the ABN system as well as try to obtain director's IDs for all the directors in Australia of Australian companies. So they're going to defer the start date. Uh, so as a result, from 1 July 2022, ABN holders with an income tax return obligation will be required to lodge their income tax return. From 1 July 2023, ABN holders will be required to confirm the accuracy of their details on the Australian Business Register annually. So once again, as the government loves to do, where they try to um, create new taxes, increase um, certain levies, even though they're trying to reduce taxes, they'll try and create other ones in the background, or you know, increase levies, or you know, reduce thresholds, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, once again, they also love putting the onus back on the taxpayer to do a little bit more extra compliance and work behind the scenes. So. If you hold an ABN uh, from the 1st of July 2022, you're required to lodge a tax return. No questions asked, regardless if your income is less than the tax-free threshold. From 1 July 2023, you will actually be required not only to lodge a, ta uh, a tax return because you hold an ABN, but you're actually required to confirm the accuracy of the details kept by the Australian Business Register of that ABN. So say I held an ABN um, in my personal name, every year I need to confirm that those details are true and correct. Is my full name spelt correctly, date of birth, probably address, um, and a few other little bits and bobs there. So yeah, it's, I think there's a few things expected to come. How are we going to confirm the accuracy of those details? I guess that's yet to be understood or known at this point in time, whether it will be correspondence through the mail, it'll be a paper form saying, are these details true and correct? If so, you know, please ignore or please keep this for your records. If not, please write back to us or it might be an email uh, or might even be done through an extra field um, or extra form on your tax return. So we shall see how that one goes, but pretty interesting, I think. Now, pays go installment system. So PAYG stands for pays you go installments, or sorry, stands for pays you go. And then we have either pays you go installments or pays you go withholding. Uh, for this one here, it's all about the pays you go installment system. So the government is trying to modernize it. The government has announced that it will allow companies to choose to have their pay as you go installments calculated based on current financial performance extracted from their business accounting software subject to some tax adjustments. So usually with pay-as-you-go installments, which is you're basically um, prepaying income tax for the current financial year that you're in. So when, when the financial year ends and you know, you've made say $100,000 profit and assuming that the company tax rate is 30%, you've got 30 grand tax to pay. Well, at the end of the financial year, you might have uh, prepaid a lot of expenses for the company. You don't have the cash flow to pay for that you know, income tax of 30 grand in one hit. However, if you're on a quarterly lodgement cycle, you could be chipping away at that uh, tax payable through pay-as-you-go installments and pay maybe $5,000 a quarter, which would then equate to 20,000. So then really at the end of the year, you only have a $10,000 burden, which is the difference between the $20,000 that you paid or prepaid through your pay-as-you-go installment systems versus the 30 grand tax payable at the end of the year. Well, you've already paid 20 of that. 10 left, well, I'd rather pay 10 at the end of the year as opposed to having a burden to pay 30 all in one hit. Um, either way, you're paying the same amount of tax. It's just, I guess, really good for cash flow and, and that's very important for a business. The government will consult with affected stakeholders, tax practitioners, and digital service providers to finalize the policy scope, design, and specifications of this measure. So really, the government is insisting that companies will have the ability to pay those pay-as-you-go installments based on current financial performance. So if, you know, last year was really good. So the way usually and, and currently how pay-as-you-go installments actually work is it's based off your prior year lodged tax return. So right now we're in the 22 financial year. So any pay-as-you-go installments paid now are based on your 2021 finance, uh, tax return. 
subject to that being lodged. If you hadn't lodged your 21 tax return yet, it'll be based on your 2020. So it's always based on your prior tax return that's being lodged. So if you had a really good year in 2021, you've lodged it early, then all your installments in this 22 financial year will be based on that good year. But if 22 has been a bit of a shocker, um, or you know, you've changed, uh, uh, I guess, you know, you've restructured your business and so the trading conditions are down or COVID's really affected it and it's been a real bummer year, but then your pays your gold installments are really high because last year was good. Well, this uh, modernization of the pays gold installment system will be allowed to basically harness your financial performance, being your profit and loss, um, from your business accounting software, whether it be MYOB, Zero. Um, Intuit QuickBooks or Reckon, whatever you use. Uh, so we'll be able to harness that sort of data and you'll be able to pay pays your installments based on that. Because then when it comes to the end of the year, if you've prepaid, you know, 40 grand worth of uh, tax because, you know, the 21 financial year is really good, but this current financial year and the 22 year, you know, you've paid 40 grand, but then you end up paying $10,000 tax at the end of the year. That's like the overall assessment amount, but you've prepaid 40. Yes, you get a $30,000 refund, but probably not great for cash flow that you've had to pay 40 throughout the year when it could have been better in the, the business's bank account to just for working capital and also just to reinvest into the business and basically um, you know, just make sure that there's good, adequate, sufficient liquidity always at every good time. So liquidity means basically um, can you meet your current assets, or sorry, can you meet your current liabilities and do your current assets outweigh those current liabilities? You always want to be liquid, meaning having cash on hand or having assets that can easily be converted into cash. So let me just get a uh, drink of water here. All right, so propose to commence on 1 January 2024 for periods starting on or after that date. And once again, it's subject to software providers capacity to deliver operational systems by the 31st of December 2023. So it won't start until 1 January 2024 but it is subject to software providers having that extra capability and functionality to deliver basically um, this sort of data to assist in this modernization of the PayZigon installment system. So there you go, moving on. We are now talking all about single touch payroll and the enhancement, which is the acronym for that is STP. So the enhancement or sharing of STP data. So the government has announced that it will commit 6.6 million towards the development of IT infrastructure required to allow the ATO to share single touch payroll data with state and territory revenue offices on a ongoing basis. So this basically means, and it's nothing uh, the taxpayer has to do, but the ATO is going to do it or they have announced that they want to do it, is that they're going to spend $6.6 million towards developing better IT infrastructure to allow the ATO to share data that it extracts from single touch payroll with state and territory revenue officers. Now, what want, I guess what the bigger picture is here, why would the ATO, which is a federal organization or federal government body, want to share information with states and territories? Well, they both basically go hand in hand, of course, because all governments, I mean, whatever level, it's still the government. Um, so essentially, by sharing this single touch payroll data with the state and territory revenue officers, what's going to happen is that you're going to have like those state-based taxes like payroll tax um, being communicated to by the ATO. So if you, whenever you do a pay run, you have to obviously submit that to the ATO through single touch payroll. But that information doesn't actually go to the your state or um, territory's uh, revenue officers. So really, you could actually say one thing to the ATO about wages you're being paid. Then, for example, for the purposes of payroll tax, you could say something else, and there was no data matching. However, now the government wants to spend $6.6 million so they can freely communicate between each other and everyone's transparent, everyone's on the same page. So if you paid $40,000 wages and you reported that to the ATO, but then you know you didn't want to pay payroll tax and you reported $30,000, for example, to your, um, say, South Australia state government, well, they just assumed that those two figures were true and correct. So each government organization thought that, that the, so the ATO thought the 40 grand was correct. Um, the SA state government thought the 30 grand was correct. But now, 
if this announcement does go through, it does get passed, they do commit the $6.6 million and they do talk to each other, well, there's going to be a discrepancy saying, hey, you said $40,000 of wages to ATO, but now $30,000 to the state. What's going on here? There's a $10,000 discrepancy. Who's like, which one's true? Which one's false? Penalties. Um, and there could be obviously uh, top up taxes uh, for, you know, uh, I guess the underpayment of taxes uh, retrospectively. So just be careful. Um, really, the easiest and simplest way, uh, just so you can sleep well at night, is just to be upfront, transparent, honest, um, and always provide true and correct information. That would be my suggestion in this. So very um, interesting. Also, STP, if you don't know already, does communicate with other federal uh, government bodies, especially Services Australia. So for example, if you're someone that just doesn't want to pay child support, say for example, um, you're and you're employed, uh, so your employer is going to be lodging you know, true and accurate information in regards to your wages to the ATO. The ATO does communicate to Services Australia, which is formerly uh, Centrelink. Um, and, they, and then Centrelink and Services Australia is going to know exactly how much you earn. So if you're telling them directly, Services Australia, they only earn $30,000, but really through ATO and through single touch payroll, it's actually $40,000. They'll eventually find out and any child support that you've avoided, you might have to pay that retrospectively, meaning from the date you should have been paying it, they'll charge you all of that in one lump sum. So once again, be upfront, honest, uh, transparent, true and correct. That's my suggestion. Now, moving on to probably one of the biggest and I guess most popular parts of this budget, the 2022-23 federal budget, is the temporary reduction in fuel excise. Now, the government has announced that it will reduce by 50% the excise and excise equivalent customs duty rate that applies to petrol and diesel, so its current rate is actually at 44.2 cents per litre and all other fuel and petroleum-based products. So essentially, it's cutting all the fuel excise by half. Now, not all fuel excise, uh, which is actually a tax imposed on uh, fuels, is actually at 44.2 cents. Uh, for example, LPG is at 14.4 uh, cents. Uh, we have petroleum-based oils, lubricants and greases, which is at 8.5 cents. Then we have uh, denatured ethanol for use as fuel in an internal combustion engine, which is at 14.5 cents. Uh, we have biodiesel at 8.8 cents. Um, so there's various rates, but regardless of what the excise rate is, for all of them, they're all going to be reduced by 50%. So for the common ones, petrol and diesel, current rate 44.2 cents, it's going down to 22.1 cents per litre. Very interestingly enough, is that all of this reduction in fuel excise applies to all fuels, pretty much, except aviation fuels. Now, I find that very interesting. Um, so there you go. And I think, actually, when it comes to aviation fuels is because I believe that there's a lot of foreign airlines landing in Australia, obviously buying our fuel at the airports. I think the government wants to cash in and charge them that fuel excise just to I guess, get a bit extra revenue there through that aviation fuel. Uh, however, for those domestic uh, or dom those um, airlines that are domiciled in Australia, where like Qantas is obviously that rings a bell and Rex and all that, well, they're still having to pay it as well. So I think it's one of those things where, well, we have to sacrifice our Australian companies to really target those foreigners coming here and uh, taking our fuel. Well, let's charge them for it and give them a bit of tax. Pretty harsh considering the airlines copped it over the last two years through COVID and how significantly impacted it has been with basically you know severe reductions in uh, flying. But uh, yeah, the government needs to make money somehow. And you know this is just one of those ways where they're looking at the overall picture. Oh, they're doing good by halving it. But if you read the fine print, it's all fuels except aviation fuels. Now, this is for six months starting at 12.01 a.m. on the 30th of March. That's so already started. And it ends at 11.59 p.m. on the 28th of September, 2022. So if you're ever on the 28th of September and it's nearly getting to midnight and you see massive lineups of the server, well, this is exactly why, because after that, fuel excise is reinstated and that 50% reduction is wiped away. Treasury predicts oil prices to come down and settle around the $100 per barrel 
uh, mark around September. So that's why they're ending it in September. So right now, oil's a bit higher than that, is, and they're expecting it to actually go down a little bit by then. So even though fuel excise will be reinstated to its normal rates and normal cents per liter, oil prices will go down. So they're not anticipating too much of a jump at the Bowser uh, when it comes to the ending of this temporary reduction. The Australian Competition and Consumer Commission will also monitor the price behaviours of retailers to ensure the lower excise is fully passed on to Australians. The actual reduction in price of fuels should be greater than the actual reduction in this uh, excise because GST is actually levied on the lower excise rate. So for example, let me just put this um, into perspective. When you pay for fuel, say at the supplier pays a dollar or you know the wholesalers um, actually let's say the manufacturer of the fuel um, sells it for a dollar then after that fuel excise is put on top so say if it's fine leaded it'll then be a dollar 44.2 um, then obviously it gets sold um, and so after that I guess it gets to the end consumer it'll be $1.60, for example, because obviously the wholesaler needs to put their markup on it. But then it's $1.60 exclusive of GST. Then they put a GST on that. So then it's $1.76 inclusive of GST. So if you think about it, fuel excise has already been added. So it was started at a dollar as what the manufacturer sold it for. Um, and then that's when the fuel excise was added on. So then it became $1.442 um, because obviously you got to add the uh, 44.2 cents of fuel excise. So let's just say $1.44. Then when that gets sold to the customer, $1.44, then it needs to say that then they want to make a markup. They round it up to $1.60. So they're making roughly around 16 cents. Then they need to put GST on that. So by halving this fuel excise, you actually save more than say, for example, with unleaded and diesel. Uh, the reduction is 22.1 cents per liter. You, the reduction should be greater than that because there's GST on that as well. So it should be around actually 24 cents, give or take a couple of cents uh, around there per liter, but should be definitely more than 22.1 cents per liter. I still believe, even though the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, the ACCC, I still believe even if they're monitoring price behaviors, I think servos or service stations, we like to call them servos here in Australia, I think they're going to abuse this a little bit, um, have a reduction, just showing that they're passing on some of it, but I think they're going to just uh, still give it a little bit of a push up just to uh, cash in, because even though it is uh, dropping off at the Bowser in terms of prices, I still think it's a little bit overstated. That's my personal opinion. So yeah, that's very interesting there. Um, the existing indexation arrangement in August will continue, but on the halved rates. So fuel excise does go up uh, quarterly um, So that's, uh, via indexation. So it's still going to go up in August um, this year. However, it's going to go up on the halved rate. So like, for example, uh, currently the full rate's 44.2 cents for unleaded and diesel. If that goes up to 45 cents, then it will just be halved on that 45 cents. So then it will get reduced to 22.5 cents um, instead. So you're still getting the halved amount, but it's going to be the halved amount after the increase through indexation. There you go. So that's fuel excise for you there, stoners. So when you're at the Bowser, you should know that it's not just half of the fuel excise you're saving. It's half the fuel excise plus the GST on that uh, excise. So very interesting. Anyway, moving on to the women's budget. This is interesting. I never knew this existed. So we've got a women's budget statement here. The government has announced that it will invest a further $2.1 billion towards supporting women and girls. The women's budget statement focuses on three priorities, women's safety, women's economic security, and women's health and well-being. Some of the key initiatives include various measures to drive change to end violence against women and children, which I strongly am a supporter and advocate of. Increased eligibility for the paid parental leave scheme, including more flexibility for parents to share the full entitlement between them. Initiatives to support women in the workplace and to encourage female leadership. 
So that's always uh, strongly regarded and uh, definitely recommended for women to stand up and uh, take the leadership upon themselves and funding for various aspects of women's health. So safety, economic security, and health and well-being. Three really important sectors, $2.1 billion investment. I think that's a great uh, bit of spending there from the Australian government. Um, so that's quite interesting. I didn't know that a women's budget statement uh, did exist. Uh, I have to go back into the archives to see if that ever has been written in the budgets before. Um, but I thought I'd share it with you stoners right now because the demographic of our listeners is far and wide. I know this is based on the Australian budget, but we have stoners all across the world in all continents except for Antarctica. So I'm trying to get people. So if you know anyone in Antarctica, please let them know about the Turning Stones podcast. would love a listener from Antarctica. But basically, we have listeners from every continent across the globe from over 35 countries um, and, of course, of both genders. So this is never targeted at males. It's for everyone and anyone. So hopefully you're enjoying um, any suggestions or feedbacks or even just some compliments or criticism, don't hesitate to DM us. Now, moving on, talking all things defense. Now, especially with the Russia and Ukraine conflict, $9.9 billion is going to be invested over 10 years on defensive and offensive cyber warfare and intelligence capabilities. $38 billion through to 2040 to increase the number of defense personnel by 18,500 to 80,000. Wow, that's a massive jump uh, with our defense forces, that's for sure. So we currently have around 18,500, I guess, uh, those that are in the other Army, Air Force, Navy, whatever have you, reserves. Uh, so in the military, we have 18,500, but they want to get that to 80,000. That's a pretty good number, especially with population increasing as well. They also want to spend $3.5 billion on dollars on upgrades to tanks and $1 billion to buy self-propelled howitzers. Hmm. A howitzer. It's interesting. What is a howitzer? Well, a howitzer is generally a large-ranged weapon between a cannon, which has a smaller, higher-velocity shells fired at flatter trajectories, and a mortar, which fires at higher angles of ascent and descent. Howitzers, like other artillery equipment, are usually organized in a group called a battery. There you go. So I've got another little search here of what's the difference between a howitzer and a gun. Well, a gun was a cannon designed to fire at a flat trajectory. Um, A howitzer was a shorter piece designed to throw exploding shells in an arching trajectory. Um, and a mortar was a very short piece for firing at elevations of more than 45 degrees. So there you go. Um, very interesting. And clearly, we are spending $1 billion to buy self-propelled howitzers. What you should know, the government regularly reminds us we are living in a more uncertain world. And they're right. I agree. So more spending on defense is sensible. The trick is ensuring these promises some of which span decades, and I guess, are they going to be delivered efficiently and on time? So 9.9 billion over 10 years, 38 billion all the way to 2040, which is over 18 years. Um, So hopefully they live up to their word. We shall see. Moving on to infrastructure, $3.1 billion for two Melbourne intermodal uh, rail terminals on the outskirts of the north and west of the city to get trucks off the road. So they're going to spend a fair bit of money on rail network terminals uh, on the outskirts of the north and west of Melbourne, trying to just obviously reduce the traffic on the road. Uh, They're spending $1 billion for faster rail between Sydney and Newcastle. Um, It's a pretty popular rail route, so spending a billion dollars there for faster travel. And $2.7 billion for faster rail between Brisbane and the Gold Coast and the Sunshine Coast. So a big touristy area there. Spending more money on this sort of transport will reduce and ease traffic congestion. Unfortunately, it requires money, lots of it, and of course, time. If you have time and money, pretty much the world's at your feet, that's for sure. The headline figure is $17.9 billion, however, in infrastructure investment in a 2022-23 budget. And it's an absolute certainty that these projects will feature 
during the election campaign, which I'll get to in a little bit. Now, moving on to health and mental health. Big area, very important area. More money for mental health services such as Headspace and community-based treatment programs. The government has also backflipped and will keep funding the $4 million counseling service for first responders. Really good, especially in a time of the pandemic where uh, they're probably getting um, unfairly treated. Uh, they're, demand, well, they, they're being demanded of doing X, but the government wants them doing Y and Z and you know jumping through hoops and doing over and above. So for them to offer that counseling service, I think it's really important because of the stress that they might have mentally. The pharmaceutical benefits scheme safety net will be reduced slightly, lowering the cost of medicines for about 2.4 million Australians. So it's always good to have affordable medicines if the body requires to do so. Once again, if you've just got a little sniffle and it's not COVID, not feeling great, my suggestion, guys, is just there's nothing better than rest. Then to complement that, hydrate. See some sun, which is some good vitamin D, but most importantly, once again, good rest. And try and be proactive. Try and not get sick in the first place, which means good sleep, good diet, good exercise, um, and a clear conscience, which means good mental health as well. So, you know, whether it's watching a comedy before bed, I used to sometimes watch uh, Seinfeld in my younger years, and it always used to put me to bed, even though I love the show. Sometimes it just made me fall asleep because it was just such an easy show to watch. So... Yeah, I mean, the pharmaceutical benefit scheme safety net is there. It's good, reducing costs of medicines. But if you can avoid medicines, even better. So anyway, moving on. Breast cancer drug Trodelvi listed on the pharmaceutical benefit scheme, slashing the costs of treatment from $80,000. So that's really good as well. So there's a breast cancer drug there available, which is a common cancer in Australia, unfortunately. The government will spend another $6 billion on its COVID-19 winter response plan, and that's including $1 billion on the vaccine rollout. That's massive how much that COVID-19 has uh, cost this government. And it's not to do with anything in terms of medical products, testing, vaccines. Put that aside. How about all the grants, the subsidies? Uh, basically, how about the JobKeeper or the job seeker payments for all of those uh, businesses and employees out of work or struggling through these times? The amount of outlay uh, that the government's given um, is phenomenal. And it's really put us back uh, a few steps in terms of our natural progression for a more stronger economy. But I guess to compare that with other nations, I think we're all on the same foot with this one. Sorry, I just have to have a drink there. Now, what we should know, well, this is a steady-as-she-goes budget on the health front. So it's designed to protect the government from another Medi-Scare election campaign and contains some worthy measures, but no new major commitments. So it's nothing huge, nothing surprising, and I think they had to be pretty... Um, conservative in this space couldn't reduce too much i know we obviously need to fund things somehow some way we don't want to keep growing our debt because it's massive already we don't want to increase the deficit too much because once again we have an election coming up and i'll get to that in a little bit so it's no medi scare and there's no uh, suggestion of an increase to medicare levy as was discussed in prior years in prior budgets because uh, that is currently at two percent Anyway, moving on to regional Australia. So this particular topic will be the second to last of the technical topics before I get to the summary. So regional Australia, a whopping $7.4 billion being promised for more dams and water projects, including the Hell's Gate Dam in Queensland. Mobile phone services in the bush will benefit from a $1.3 billion spend to improve coverage along 8,000 kilometers of regional roads. What you should know, more pork, anyone. The regional ministerial budget statement lays claim to 600 initiatives, including 260 major new packages and measures to boost regional communities and industries. The nationals were always going to extract a pound of flesh for supporting net zero emissions, and this is it. Expect a blizzard of targeted local announcements during the election campaign. So there is going to be a fair bit of support for those in those regional areas. 
um, especially for the dams and water projects because water is such a valuable commodity when it comes to farming and farming is a really big industry in regional Australia and when we're talking farming we're talking in all sorts and all facets of prime production of farming and then we're talking you know uh, livestock um, aquaculture uh, horticulture viticulture um, so whether it's you know <clears throat> barley and, and and wheat and hops well they del- they obviously thrive off the rains but you know there's there might be the odd occasional time where they might need the dams and, and water projects there so to fill up their spray tanks uh when we're talking about you know say for example intensive farming with horticulture growing capsicums tomatoes eggplants and cucumbers well they require um water as well to irrigate so and then we've got livestock as well well animals need to drink water too you know um they're just like us so really important and of course mobile phone services everything's becoming a little bit more digital a little bit more electronic a lot more paperless so i think really now if you own a business and you're without a smartphone you're going to be set back a fair bit and you're going to be definitely behind the eight ball um, in that one and especially if you don't have an email address these days pretty difficult to do things that's for sure so for them to increase and improve the phone services uh, in the bush um, that's a pretty good spend in my books that's for sure last but not least in terms of the technical topics i want to cover in this second part of the 2022-23 budget and can i just promise you stoners there's not going to be a part three this is it uh summaries coming after this one but it is basically about the new apprentices, so uh, basically education, skills, and small business. So new apprentices will receive $5,000 payments over two years as they complete their training in key industries deemed to have skill shortages. So that's yet to be officially determined to say which industries have skill shortages, but if you are in an industry and you're in a new apprentice, you'll be receiving $5,000 payments over two years. to complete that training. So you can start it, but if you don't complete it, you don't get the full amount. There's also gonna be wage subsidies for employers who take on new tradie trainees and apprentices. So that's really handy to promote employment. And I think the government really wants to get their unemployment rate from 4% to 3.75%. And I think these little uh, tidbits here are gonna help that. There's obviously, as we discussed yesterday, there was tax deductions, the extra 20% boosts um, for small businesses that invest in training and in their IT systems, including cybersecurity. And then there's a $2.2 billion program to help commercialize universities' research and 30,000 more university places than last year. So to summarize that, After saving the weekend at the 19 election, the coalition is determined to stay in the tradies' good books and hang on to their votes. So they're really trying to incentivize um, businesses to not only employ, but to upskill and educate and to invest in the more digital IT systems, including cybersecurity, but also to those um, that are seeking employment to maybe take up um, an apprenticeship or you know work in a key industry and I guess upskill yourself for your own per, per, uh, professional development and I'd say the workforce that are in the trades um, probably covers a large po- population of Australia and I think if liberal want their votes well they're heading down the right track that's for sure anyway to summarize stoners about this whole budget well As I said before a couple of times in this part two episode, there is an election to be held in May 2022, so just over a month's time. Um, As of the 6th of April, uh, there's not a set date yet, so it's going to be on a Saturday in May. So Scott Morrison, the current Prime Minister, has a few Saturdays to pick from. Uh, So he has the 7th, 14th, 21st, and 28th um, to pick from. So he's got four Saturdays. Uh, Very unlikely it would be on any other day. Uh, to pick from in May. If it's on the 7th, well, then it's actually just 31 days time. So it's pretty soon. This will be soon nonetheless. But my question is, how much of this budget will be true to its word should the Morrison government not be elected? So that's the other question. Currently, Scott Morrison's in position. If he's not re-elected, how much will Labor 
suggesting that they do beat Liberal in a two-party preferred. Say Labor win, how much are they going to live up to these uh, promises? Mm, very interesting. That's the whole um, gamble when you have a budget before election time, is that they're probably trying to put in a few sweeteners here, the Liberal Party, just to get, I guess, sway people their way and say, no, nah, re-elect us, guys. Like, you know, look, look what we're proposing on doing. And remember, a lot of these things that we've mentioned in both part one and part two are announcements. Not, a lot of them haven't become law yet. So it's probably waiting not only for the Morrison government to be re-elected, but also it has to pass the House of Representatives. And there's a whole chain of command of how law becomes legislation and gets passed and becomes official. Uh, will there be wage increases to tackle the cost of living expenses? So, I mean, it's all good having the one-off tax offsets um, or even the $250 payments to those that are uh, currently on basically uh, income support, uh, whether they're pensioners or you know job seekers. Uh, they have that $250 payment coming in April, which is this month. Or you know, if you're a worker, a low to middle income earner, like a 400 extra $420 offset. Um, yeah, it's all well and good having that, but will there be wage increases? Because a one-off tax offset still won't be enough to tackle the cost of living expenses. So will there be wage increases from the 1st of July? We shall see. Um, and with inflation, I think they want to keep it within 2 to 3%. Uh, that's what Josh Frydenberg, the treasurer of Australia, says that they want to get it there. If it goes up, well, then I think wages just have to go up. Um, there's no doubt about it, but will they go up? Uh, in line or more than inflation to cover those cost of living expenses, we shall see. However, there's no doubt this is a time of uncertainty with the COVID-19 pandemic, that's that's for sure. So even if this budget, with the information that we currently got at hand, with the current strains of Omicron um, and a potential second wave coming through in winter, uh, with the information that we currently have on hand at the moment, I believe that this budget is going to uh, position Australia um, and, and battle it through the next, I'd say, year or two. Um, and I think we're going to come out the other side really strong uh, compared to the rest of the world, but also you know, financially here as well when we're comparing to other and previous financial years. Uh, despite, you know, once again, the pandemic and those natural disasters that we've had in 2020 and even the floods uh, this year. So I think we're going to be good there. How will the government reduce inflationary measures? So like, they want to keep inflation between 2 and 3%, but it could go up. How will they reduce it? Well, they can provide cheaper education, cheaper childcare, um, groceries going up with direct COVID-19 consequences. So, you know, reduce those groceries going up because obviously with supply chain delays and staff shortages through COVID uh, contacts or, you know, positive cases, supply chain, that's where groceries end up going up. Uh, will interest rates rise to tackle some of the incentives being offered in this budget? Will they make housing more affordable again with soaring property markets? Existing homeowners that are geared, meaning that they borrowed a significant amount of money to buy, how will they cope if interest rates rise? And once again, there isn't a mention of unemployment going down to 3.75% from 4, but no actual mention of increases in wages once again so you know by basically making more jobs to in or to decrease the unemployment rate um, they might still just be paid at the same rate so it's all well and good reducing your unemployment but what classification of those employees being employed are they full-time part-time or casual because i mean really if you've reduced the unemployment rate down from four to three point seven five percent it looks good. It's a nice newspaper headline. But if that reduction just came of came about from employing an extra 100,000 people who just work one day a week, well, to me, yes, they have a job, but really that it's not a good indicator of actual true employment on a full-time equivalent basis. I think there needs to be a better rate of the unemployment rate in my term, or a better metric for the unemployment rate for, for a true indicator. Like I think minimum should be like three days of employment um, constitutes the equivalent of one um, person being employed or not. If you're employed by, uh, you know, you're casual and you only work two days a week, well, I think you should only be uh, two thirds of uh, that vote for employment. Uh, that's in my opinion. Because I think three days a week 
three or more days a week that you're employed, that probably constitutes being employed. Even though you are employed, even if you work four hours a week, you are technically being employed. But is that a true indicator of uh, unemployment rates? Because then what are you doing for the rest of the week? Very interesting. There was no mention in this budget of the GST rate. So that's staying put at 10% and they're not actually broadening the scope or taxing any other industry. So like currently certain foods are GST free, medical expenses, education, health, they're all GST free. Um, and you would have thought, well, instead of taxing those areas to increase revenue, maybe they'll increase the GST rate. Well, Australia's GST will stay put and Interestingly enough, little fun fact, Australia's GST rate is less than half of the rates of consumption and sales taxes in overseas countries. So some sales taxes, which is GST basically, uh, overseas are 20, 25%. We're here 10%. So it's less than half of uh, those in uh, other countries overseas. But nonetheless, guys, that is the budget for 2022, 2023 upcoming financial year. I hope you enjoyed Um, thank you very much for listening to parts one and part two. If you're just a listener of part two, please go back to part one. There's a fair few uh, things that you might get a bit of a kick out of, especially when it comes to the cost of living offsets and payments, small business incentives and all that sort of stuff. So I hope you enjoyed. Once again, hopefully no more pandemics and natural disasters. Our country, our people, our taxpayers and our bottom line certainly does not need it. Thank you for listening, making sure you're following us at turnstones pod on instagram and twitter and following us and subscribing to all our media platforms whether it be spotify apple podcast google podcast or youtube please follow please subscribe please give us a five-star review and really it doesn't take too much time out of your day to do that and if you can please share the podcast that's the way we can reach a bigger audience and maybe get to that one day where we have a listener from antarctica that is the dream of all of us and if we do big celebrations ahead. I promise you that. Stoners, take care. Have a good one. See you next time. Love you all.